Well, the pressure to settle down or at least seem to be searching to settle down or find a soulmate can be pretty intense. I think anytime any of us have been single, we've all been there. And so can the reaction to declaring that you're just fine the way you are. It certainly sounds like food for thought and a subject to explore in some depth. And that's precisely what my next guest has done. Writer and performer Amy Lutkin is the author of The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken, and she's also the weekend editor at Elle Magazine. Amy, welcome so welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on the book, by the way. I, because I looked it up before before we spoke to you, was it published yesterday? Was that was it released yesterday? Yes, it was. Yesterday was my oh. pub day here in the U.S., which was very exciting, and it was in the U.K. last week. Oh, fantastic! So, how has that been? It must be to go from sort of gathering these thoughts to actually putting them all down on paper and putting the book out there and going through that experience. It must be pretty uh, exciting and uh, terrifying all at once. Yeah, it's hard even to really express. I mean, the book takes place in a certain period of my life that now feels long ago, but it was like five years ago, probably. And I sold the book maybe three or four years ago, and now it's finally out. So it was just this incredibly long process book. Is A book is so different from a blog or writing online, which is what I'm used to. It's been this really, really long process to this culmination. Since you mentioned it, I gather that like so many good things and so many interesting things, that uh, the seeds of this book uh, started at a dinner party many, many moons ago. Uh, maybe our listeners would like to know how that all began. Absolutely. I mean, this dinner party is going to become an infamous part of my history. But basically, I was 33. I'm turning 38 in just a couple of weeks. I was 33 and I had been single at that point for about six years. And I went to this dinner party. And my friends there were mostly all in couples and they kind of asked me, you know, what's going on with your love life? And this is like a very normal conversation starter, right? Um, but when I said, you know, I haven't dated anyone in so long, I kind of think I might never date anyone again. They had this very outsized reaction, like it was beyond what I expected. And it made me feel very shut down and like I couldn't talk honestly about my situation. That's interesting because I was thinking when I read that about how many times I've been in all kinds of environments where someone, where you say those exact words to someone. What was interesting, I think, was the was sort of the the vehemence with which people protested this idea of yours that maybe maybe you weren't going to settle down. You in, you describe going home after that and thinking about it. What ran through your mind as you thought about that reaction? Well, I guess for me, logically, I'd always thought, you know, why do we think you are destined to meet somebody? I mean, it's a beautiful idea and I've been in love and I, I think it's wonderful to be in love. So of course, everyone wants that to some extent, but why do we think it's absolutely going to happen? And I think we just receive all these cultural messages that that's everyone's like birthright is to end up in a couple. And it puts so much emphasis on couplehood as the culmination of your identity and your life. So to say, oh, I'm never going to have that, I think is quite frightening to people, even if they're in relationships, because it kind of makes that relationship seem less certain. So I gather you took away these thoughts and they sat with you for quite a while. And then, and then, and this is always an interesting one because, because um, you published something on Christmas day, 2016, I, I gather. Did. And all of a sudden you found out that one's loneliness wasn't, wasn't lonely. That there were many others out there who shared your feelings. Uh, how did that, how did that unfold for you? Well, I wrote for Jezebel.com at the time and, you know, I did a lot of kind of everyday coverage, but the editor in chief was like, Hey, would you like to write a end of the year post? And I'd had that dinner party maybe a month or a month and a half before Christmas was rolling around and it just kind of all came pouring out of me. And I was just saying, you know, when am I going to be allowed to like admit the state that I'm in 
and say, you know, I haven't been with anyone a long time. I don't know if I ever will be, but I'm living my life right now. I'm not waiting for some future life where I am finally, you know, accepted into the world of couples. So I wrote this blog and it it got put up on Christmas day. And I found out because all these people were tagging me on Twitter and I got all these emails and there's so many people who are kind of in the same situation, just saying, I also haven't been with anyone for so long and it makes me feel so weird and, you know, outside the norm, but you know, if they could all see each other, they'd understand that they're not at all outside the norm. One of the things that um, I was thinking about looking through that article that ran in the, in the UK times in the London time or the times of London um, was just how much of the kind of advertising culture that we build around being single is also built on meeting someone else soon. And that must become that must have become very glaring to you when you were working on this stuff. Yeah, I think a really common refrain you get is like it'll happen when you least expect it. Um, you know, you got to work on yourself. You got to love yourself, and it'll come to you. It's kind of like treated almost as a magic spell. You have to learn to cast somehow, and you know, then love will appear. Um, and that kind of plays into the predestiny idea as well, where it's just like, oh, inevitably it will happen. But even people who fall in love may fall out of love or love again. You know, there is no absolute most of the time. I'm speaking with Amy Lutkin, the author of The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. Um, one of the things that that is always interesting too is just the, you know, I think we all grow up with these fairy, it's sort of a fairy tale, really. I mean, from a young age, boys and girls and everybody else is brought up with this idea of the one or, you know, it's sort of hammered into us at a young age. Um, and, and sort of swimming against that tide is obviously still difficult because one might picture that by 2022, it wouldn't be as difficult as it would have been 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting during my research for the book, I kind of learned for the first time, I don't think I'd really thought about it as much as I should have that our idea of like couplehood, especially heterosexual couplehood, being the like primary relationship in your life is not a very old idea. It's kind of relatively new. And it used to be that though people were like married for socioeconomic reasons, as they still are, it was very important to have connections to your community, to your family, to your extended family. And while you might have a loving relationship with your partner, your husband, your wife, they weren't the only person, the main person in your life who you were only allowed to love. I mean, at this point, there's so much pressure on relationships. It's no wonder they're breaking down. Well, certainly. I mean, if you think back to multi-generational families, you might have a whole bunch of people in the house. You might have your parents, your children, your ch- grandchildren, and so forth. Um, we had someone on last week talking about uh, dating apps and how dating apps had been the most <laughs> sort of the biggest revolution in in coupling or mating, meeting since the agricultural revolution when we sort of started to settle down. Um you sort of got back into dating briefly, I gather. What was it like to start using dating apps? Because it's obviously much had changed in the time that you had been away, so to speak. Yeah, I think the timing wise for me was that Tinder came out probably, you know, in my late 20s. And I, I did join briefly and I had like maybe one fling with somebody who I knew in real life. So I sort of thought, oh, a dating app is a way to check out if someone you already know likes you because you see each other and you swipe on each other. I deleted the app soon after that. And then many years later, I wrote this article and I decided, okay, everyone's telling me I should try. So I'm going to try to date. I'm going to go on two dates a week, no matter what, whether I'm tired, not feeling it, whatever. I got on all the dating apps and started meeting all these people through them. 
And one thing I will say about dating apps is they don't really want you to get off of them. They want you to stay on them. They're designed to be like a game because they want to make money off you and keep your attention. So it's not really conducive to long lasting relationships, which kind of require focus and attention. The um, one of the interesting terms that's used in describing your book is, is how we patholo- pathologize or pathologizing of loneliness. Um, how do you explain that? I mean, when, when that's said, I, I don't know if you wrote it, was, it's in the blurb, so I'm not sure if you wrote it or someone else did, but um, how do you explain that? How do you define that? I didn't write the blurb, but I thought it was very apt. I, I think for me, it's, you know, when I would talk about being single, especially over for a long time, like a, years and years of being single, I got a lot of messages about how I needed to change and conform and, you know, be more attractive, even if they were friends not saying that explicitly or sort of the underlying message. And I think that we're taught to like put all this pressure on ourselves to change so we can be in a couple instead of like asking why we can't get our needs met elsewhere, like why there's so much loss of community and social connection outside of romance. One of the things you point out too is just, especially these days, just how many, how much of society's privileges go towards those who are in couples, whether it be expenses or taxes or. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, we, because people can get divorced now because women can earn a living now, I think there's this fantasy that like the importance of being in a couplehood for your own survival has vastly diminished, but the world is still really designed around being in a couple. So even if you're living a fairly successful life as a single person, you're going to be left out of a lot of opportunities, you know, financially, but also socially, like my couple friends go on trips together and I'm not going to be going unless I have a partner to go with me. It's a really weird double standard. Amy Lutkin, author of The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. Um, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I really want to ask you a bit about the research that went into this book because you found out some really interesting things about just how much more common um, sort of super solo, to use the term, has become and why. Uh, And we'll get to that right after this. And I'm back with Amy Lutkin, author of The Lonely Hunter, How Our Search for Love is Broken. We've been talking about uh, her new book, which is out, and uh, the dinner party that spawned it all. Really a dive into what it means to be single, why it's okay to be single, and uh, why there's so much pressure in society to at least pretend or claim that you're out looking for the perfect one. I would imagine once this all began, you actually started to hear from all kinds of people, uh, all kinds of people from different walks of life, different ages, men, women. Yeah, I did. I heard from um, people of all different ages, people who were lonely for different reasons. For some, it was location. You know, they were in maybe a rural place or a place without a lot of opportunities to meet other folks, or maybe they were, you know, disabled. They were homebound due to like illness or any other issue. And that made it very difficult. Or, you know, they were recovering from heartbreak because sometimes it can take a really long time after a relationship ends to get out there again. Did you notice any sort of similarities about what what brought people comfort and happiness in their, in their singleness or. I mean, I, it's interesting because I, I thought a lot about that for myself, like what brings me comfort and happiness. And I think it's a lot of the same things you would expect. It's like having friends, it's cultivating your own interests, figuring out what you find interesting about life and trying to get good at it. Um, pets, family, uh, all those things can kind of wake you up to life again. If you've been so focused on romantic love, you haven't even paid attention to who you are and what you love about the world. 
there were some really interesting stats that were published alongside uh, the article that appeared in the uh, Times of London uh, over the last week announcing, I guess your book was published in the UK first and now in the US. Uh, and some of them were really interesting, just you know, the sense that there will be um, the number of women living in, uh, not living in a couple who have never married is actually up for every age group under 70 in the in Britain. And I found that fascinating. Did you look for similar stats and what did you find? I didn't know that one. I think I missed the stat that they published with it. But the one I mentioned in the piece was from the US uh, 2010 census, because it's a very important part of a book by a woman named Rebecca Traster. She wrote this book called All the Single Ladies. And it was a huge moment in the census because it was the first time in the US history that there were more single women than married in the country. And that was like a huge sea change. And the census also showed that people were getting married much older or never. And a lot of them were having children much later as well. So there's this big change happening in the demographics of single and married people. Canada just released its new census numbers today, or at least a first glimpse of the ones for 2021. I'll definitely have to look at that stat because I'd be curious to know uh, what it is in this country. I suspect it's very similar uh, as well. One of the things that, um, when you hear, heard from men, for instance, and I know this, what were you hearing from them about it? Because I understand one of the odd, other odd stats in that London Times of London was that men actually feel more pressure to not be single, apparently, according to the, these stats. That's very interesting. I mean, I want to be very sympathetic to men because I think loneliness is not a gendered issue. I think anybody <laughs> can experience it. But obviously, as a woman, like I'm having my view of what my relationship and interactions with men are looking for romance. Uh, I think as men get older, you know, women often do a lot of caretaking around the home, a lot of caretaking of their spouse and the children. And I think men, maybe as they're older and have sown their wild oats, they kind of realize that they need that in their life and they're seeing it happening for their friends and their families. So maybe that's the pressure. I don't know. What is your perspective? Do you feel that yeah, way? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, ma I'm married. I have to confess I'm married okay. and been for, for quite a while and, and happily, you know, not always easily, but always happily. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think there is a, I think maybe where it boils down to, if I had to think about it, is that there, there is a difficult, men often don't have that many, don't have as many friends. They don't have a big enough social yeah. circle, especially when they're divorced or they come out of a long relationship. They don't, a lot of, they seem to end up quite lonely. And I, I, I don't know this to be scientifically true, but at least anecdotally true that, uh, and, and that there is that difficulty. And then finding another partner is really the only way out of that loneliness, as opposed to relying on the people around you, the friends you've had, the cultivating of the long relationships that you haven't lost. Uh, so that's yes. just my stab at it. So, uh, well, that, uh, that really made me think about something. I just want to say it before I forget the thought, sure. which is that it is actually scientific that people who are married become very isolated. You know, I mean, I'm, we're talking about loneliness in relation to being single, but couples are often very lonely. And there's a stigma against being single as being like this person who is isolated, but often single people are very involved in their community and other people, whereas couples tend to retreat kind of and become a little insular. So I think when someone comes out of a marriage, you know, they're like, uh, they've lost all this time bonding with other people. So I, I can understand that. Yeah. What would you like people to take away from the book? I know it's a snapshot of your life that's already sort of become a snapshot because you're older now, but what would you like people to walk away with uh, from your book? I hope that people read the book and, you know, ask themselves, like, why am I beating myself over the head over the idea of like being in a romantic relationship or changing myself or like, you know, becoming somebody who enters the norm of the world? I mean, we are only on this earth for so long. 
be inventive, find a new way to live because the world's going to continue to evolve and it should be a better place for everybody. I did interview another author uh, who writes for The Guardian or used to write for The Guardian a few weeks ago who his book's called 4,000 Weeks. That's all you got. If you live to 80, you got 4,000 weeks. So to put that into put that into perspective. <laughs> wow, I wish I had not heard that. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I mean, <laughs> the bearer, about it for a long time. <laughs> the bearer of values. I tried not to count how many weeks I'd already lived. That was my... That yeah, was my I'm not one. going to do the math. <laughs> so... So, I mean, congratulations on the book. What happens now? Do you, do you, are you setting off to, I mean, I know COVID, but are you setting off to, uh, to do some marketing and all the stuff that I, I always imagined writing a book must be like? I, a lot of people ask that. The answer is that I'm not famous, though. If there are people who are listening now who want to help with that, please um, hit me up on social media. I'm not famous, so I'm not going to be sent on a book tour. I am doing a lot of interviews and podcasts and stuff, which is great. I mean, in COVID, especially to be able to connect with so many people. And and any other books? I mean, again, we talked about that one dinner party being sort of a defining moment, but <laughs> anything else? Did you enjoy the process enough to want to do it again or to at least explore this issue a little bit more? I would love to write another book. Um, you know, I've been a writer and supporting myself as a writer for many years, um, and it would be great to move into writing books more. I mean, something also about books is they don't necessarily support you, so you have to have another job a lot of the time. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, I mean, I hope that that becomes a part of my life. I would like to write another book. Definitely. I don't know if I want to talk about singleness forever. That yeah. That was, that, I was going to ask you as my last question that you, I guess as a writer, you don't necessarily want to be trapped in one, in one kind of idea or one theme, uh, right. you know, which is always, well, I hope that, you know, readers who connect to the issue will also enjoy my writing and be willing to listen to me talk about other things someday. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So just for readers who, who listeners who wouldn't know, where can one find you and where can one find the book? Well, you can find the book um, pretty much anywhere books are sold, though it's great if you want to order them at your local bookstore. I think it's awesome to support them. And you can find me on Twitter. My handle is A Lutkin uh, and my Instagram is AA Lutkin if you're more interested in the visuals. Um, and you can always write to me. My email is amaylutkin at gmail.com. Perfect. Yeah. And, and uh, there must be quite a bit of pressure these days to do a lot of like social media if you're trying to market something or you're trying to, you have a book out. I was, uh, I was thinking about how much looking over your stuff, I was thinking how much pressure that must be. It is sometimes, but you know, I was saying this. So uh, anybody who's listening, they published photos of me where I was very made up. I looked like a doll and you know, I was seeing these pictures online and everyone commenting on them. And in a way it felt like a pinata or like something completely separate from me. <laughs> I just really had no opinion about what people thought about it. It's, you know, there's a part of ourselves, ourselves we share in public and a part that's always private. Amy Lutkin, it's been a, uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much and good luck with your book. Oh, thank you so much for having me.